Hey everybody, welcome to We've Got Ward, a Doof Media podcast series where we expertly dissect and discuss Ward, while those return to the world of parahumans. My name is Matt Freeman, and this is my co-host, Scott Daly. Come on, Scott, we don't have all fucking night. Jeez, settle down. I was just getting a drink of water. Fuck you and your drink of water. You're keeping me and everybody else waiting. I'm keeping everybody waiting? What about you when you took eight minutes to get your microphone working? Why don't you just buy a microphone that works? We're not all made of money, Scott. Some of us have... Hey, are you crossing your arms? Yeah? Are you? Yes, of course I am. Of course. Oh, well. No harm done then, I suppose. Anyway, this is the weekly podcast where Matt and I eagerly dive into Wild Bill's world of PR nightmares, bigot-induced backsliding, and alien-based death powers as we analyze and interpret this ongoing web serial. This week, we properly jump into Arc 14 breaking with chapters 14.2 and 14.3. The heroes gather, hopefully to begin the assault on Teacher's base, but the Wardens aren't quite ready for that. First, they've got to do some public relations events with everyone's favorite asshole, Gary Nieves. Matt... What do you think about these two chapters? Uh, so we're we're table setting for for this arc, right? I mean, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of conflict, a lot of interesting types of conflict here. I thought it was really interesting that um, right off the bat, I was thinking like, oh, all right, this is going to be the arc where we invade teachers' hideout, yeah. and and then the chapter completely b- blue balls us. <laughs> um, I mean, it, it, you know, like, like that's the intended effect, right? Like you're like, yeah, all right, let's go get him, and then it's like, nope. Nope, you got to go deal with like some really frustrating yeah. shit now, Victoria, and and get punched right in in your in your weak spots by somebody who is who knows all of your weaknesses, and um, yeah, it's just kind of Victoria's not in a good place. Um, we're we're creating some really interesting tension with with the fact that Breakthrough is doing this fake conflict thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember when I said last week that I was like. Breaking is clearly going to be the action-packed fighting arc. And then we have a chapter uh, that is entirely just, like, one conversation. Yeah. (laughs) So, oops, not quite. Uh, I still think we're ramping up to that. I think we'll get there. But, yeah, I think we're we're seeing... Um, kind of a slow build to to that conflict and doing it by laying seeds and and having very dialogue-driven conflict very earlier in this... early in this arc. And uh, I like it. I like it a lot. Yeah, me too. Um, all right, so before we move on into the chapters, the um, the fan art contest voting is currently underway. Mm-hmm. Um, I I, th- I think that if you're a patron, uh, remember to head on over there and cast your vote. Yeah, you should have gotten an email. Um, yeah. If you didn't, let us know. Otherwise, just uh, you know, wait for the uh, results to be announced. Yeah, I mean, the the voting will be open for our patrons until next Monday, Monday evening. Um, Right before we record our episode next week is the week we record our episodes on Monday. So we're going to keep the voting open till right before then. And uh, 
And so there's time. If, if you're not a patron right now, this is a really great time to join because you get uh, a benefit immediately, which is you get your voice heard in this fan art contest. And, and let me tell you, there's some really good choices this this time around. So it's never been a better time to join. Absolutely. Cool. All right, let's move on to 14.2. And this chapter begins with Victoria thinking about how hard it is to keep secrets as she looks over the many capes present in the bunker. The stress of trying to act like they're falling apart while not letting on about the plan raid is causing everyone to start falling apart. And Victoria observes this in many of the other hero teams present. Yeah, and what really jumps out to me in the opening of this chapter is as Victoria is pointing out this stress-induced collapse that seems imminent for every single member of these of, of this gathered hero organization is the 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 intensity of her language here right like the, the opening lines of the chapter are what was the saying three could keep a secret if two of them were dead and yeah. and then she says i wanted to have more faith in humanity than that three could keep a secret if everyone had balls or tits in a vice or if their throats were directly on the line this is very like violent extreme imagery here that's going on through her head right now that like like the only way this thing's going to work is if is if people are imminently threatened with yeah. vi- with extreme violence and right. um I, I just think that's a great it's a great way of setting kind of the, the her her mood of this and it's so it's so fascinating that coming off an arc where it was very dark it was very black but they finished it by helping Sveta and there was this like real moment of happiness where she could focus on Sveta and be happy in Sveta's success. And then all this stuff starts happening and it's just piling on and piling on. And, and so we've immediately gone to a Victoria who's like you said, not in a good place, which I think that could be like the tagline of this entire book is Victoria is not in a good place right now. The book. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting throughout these chapters that Victoria doesn't really reflect on the fact that this applies to her just as well. Like, like, yes, she there, there, there's two levels of awareness of thoughts that Victoria demonstrates usually. One of one is having the thoughts Two is being aware that she's having the thoughts. Right. And she doesn't do a lot of the latter in these chapters. Like like she's having a lot of negative reactions to things, but she's not very often reflecting on the fact that she, that like kind of her assessment of this group fits her just as well. Um, and that's kind of a theme throughout, I think. Yeah, I think you're right there. And, and and I think we'll see that, you know, through her interactions with everyone else on her team. She's worried about her team. She sees the cracks in her team. She sees she's she gets on Ashley's case at the end of the, our second chapter tonight. Um, and, and it's very outwardly focused. And it, she she's aware that she's not doing well, but it's it's very specific to the Amy mentions. It's not specific to just a general this this cracking that she talks about in this chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, it, she doesn't I'm not cracking. Yeah. I see the cracking elsewhere. Exactly. Yeah. But she totally is, is, is right. the interesting thing. Right. So in the intro to this chapter, there's a there's a writing technique that I think Wildbo is using here, um, which, I, you know, it boils down to being a simple good communication technique, which you should do even even outside of, you know, fiction writing context. And basically that technique is general and then specific. So basically Victoria is thinking abstractly about the stress, about the numbers of people involved, about the consequences of failure. And then she brings it in to talk about Victor and Rune and Gundek specifically, um, picking out capes who exemplified the abstract ideas she's thinking about, thinking about how they exemplify those ideas. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like an essay-esque structure, right? 
um, you offer the opinion and then you support your opinion with with facts or mm-hmm. in this case examples. Um, and I like that it starts out with this kind of this this metaphor that she defines that is basically riffing off of our na- name of the arc. She says she's looking at things as something solid, seemingly unshakable, that was being pushed just enough that the damage was leaking in cracks forms formed. And those cracks threatened to become breaks. So she defines her metaphor and then she talks abstractly about what the metaphor means. Um, ex- like she says here, it showed in expressions and appearances and how close close capes sat to one another and how far they sat with personal sta- space established. It showed in body language in arms folded in tension and in the tone of the chatter that I could hear but couldn't decipher or in their intent silence. So, yeah, she defines this this metaphor and she abstractly gives us examples of the metaphor and then, as you said, moves into those specifics. And yeah, I mean, that's just a good, just a good communication technique. Uh, yeah. It works. For, it, it, if you're writing essays, do it like that. Yeah. But it also I, works here, I think. And, and I think I, like I noticed it. the reason it jumped out to me as something for us to talk about specifically was that, um, I, I, f- I was, was kind of going through the exercise in my head of saying, if, we had just jumped from Victoria's kind of abstract musings into the dialogue of the chapter. It would have, it would have felt sort of like floating and separate and it wouldn't have really anchored into the scene. And, but by connecting it directly, by connecting her musings directly to characters who are present in the scene, it kind of gradually brings you into the scene and connects her musings with the scene in a, in a, in a way that's very like, um, I don't know. It's it's hard it's hard to explain exactly. But do you, do you kind of, do you agree with what I what I'm kind of getting at? Like the, yeah. this idea that if if you didn't have that connective tissue of the examples, then it would it would feel very different. It anchors you. It, it makes yeah. it makes her musings a lot less floaty and more grounded. Mm-hmm. Um, because yeah, it's it, like Victoria tends to like go on these like kind of thought experiments in her brain where she just kind of goes off on stuff. But yeah, this, this allows her to bring it back down. She's talking about something specific. It's something she's seeing here. Now here's what I'm talking about. And here are the examples of it. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Cool. All right. And I think those examples are really important too. And I kind of want to talk about Victor and rune here because we, we get quite a few words describing their central deal. Um, and so Victor and rune are former empire 88 folks. They're, they were, Nazis, they're terrible. Um, but but under the amnesty, they have changed a little bit and they've attempted to reform their ways. In Rune, we see someone who has not publicly acknowledged or apologized for their past. Their silence has been damning, as Victoria says. Uh, Rune has changed her name to Scribe. But uh, to Victoria, that that name change kind of rings false. She says she, she's still just ruined to me. Um, and, and she points out that she's been benched. She's not an active member of the team she's on, that she has no friends. No one's talking to her. No one's around her. She's kind of off on her own. Victor, on the other hand, was upfront about who he was. He wrote this letter explaining it, explaining how he was trying to reform, how he was using the second chance for good, say, admitting the things that he did and saying how he's trying to become better. And because of this, his team is sticking by him. He's not alone. He's he's not segmented and, and benched and off. He's got a group of friends. And so it's almost as if the book is kind of making this parallel to show us two characters with similar backstories that have chosen different paths in their road to redemption, their road to recovery. And it's clear by their current state right now, which the general Cape society as a whole prefers, right? It's it's the Victor is, is has his group of friends. He has people that are standing up for him. Rune on the other hand, nah, 
And so it's kind of like implicitly saying the way Victor's doing it is better. That's the way. Victoria sort of seems to see it that way too. Um, What's what's interesting to me is that we, the reader, know like nothing about Rune. We we, we know a little bit about Victor, um, but it's just interesting because Rune is sort of this uh, palimpsest that we're sort of able to project like, oh, well, if if she hasn't apologized, then she's clearly... Um, not uh, contrite at all, and it's like, well, yeah. well, maybe she is. Maybe she just thinks that the apologies are fake. Yeah. So you know, I, I don't know. I, I think it's interesting because it's like Victoria's doing a bit of projecting too. I think. Well, but I mean, here's the interesting thing to me is is I don't think Victoria draws the lines quite that neatly either, because mm-hmm. Victoria's response to his letter, his apology, is very dismissive. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she does value it as higher than runes, but I mean, look at what she says here. He'd written a letter about his past life, his attempt to use the amnesty to be better, how he'd had someone close to him and that inspired him to be better. He'd found God. He condemned everything about who and what he'd been, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and right. it's like, and then she goes on to say like, I don't care about any of that because he'd still been a guy who'd had a history that was violent and stark enough to have records remaining after the end of the world, who'd done what he'd done when he was a full-fledged adult the letter had been an apology letter without an actual apology or trace of contrition so it, it's almost as if this cape society as a whole has valued what victor has done has, has rewarded him with a group of a team that's going to stick up for him as this bad stuff is released about these people publicly but to victoria <laughs> like i just love blah 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 is so dismissive he's like like especially like He's talking about how he had someone close to him, how he found God, how he condemned everything he'd been about who and what he'd been, which is interesting. Like she says he condemned everything about who and what he'd been, but the letter was an apology without an actual apology, which I mean, like, so like it almost seems like you're quibbling at that point. It's like he didn't write the words. I am sorry, even though he condemned everything that he was and everything that he did, which seems like very specific. Like I have a problem with your language. And yeah. He probably didn't write the apology letter using the Victoria Dallin template that she, <laughs> right, that she right. got from her mom. Right. Exactly. And, and, and this is one thing we know about Victoria and we've known about Victoria from very early in the story, right? One of the, the first things we noted was how some of the former empire 88 people were finding home amongst, I think it was the shepherds, right? It was the name of the group. Um, and, she was upset about that idea that these, that these terrible, terrible people, despite the amnesty, were able to find homes amongst these different groups of people. And we also like the, the one person we in the story witnessed Victoria going too far on, although it's implied that there were many others, was just this, that racist Nazi asshole that she basically paralyzed until Amy swooped in and fixed it. But um, so I think like we're seeing a train of like Victoria doesn't like these doesn't like Nazis. Victoria, anti-Nazi. <laughs> yeah. um, but she's she to a level where she is much less willing to grant these people the benefit of the doubt than than some other people. And I think that shows here and that and I think it's so fascinating that we compare and contrast these two characters, these two these two methods of moving towards recovery or redemption or whatever you want to call it. And to Victoria, neither to her personally hold much weight. She's yeah. just no blah, 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 best. Right. Well, and I think this this um, generalizes to her general you know issue where she just really is of two minds about this whole amnesty thing. Like, yeah. like it's taken rain pretty much this deep into the story to really to really convince her that he's turned a new leaf and, you know, is maybe is maybe worth, uh, you know, giving the time of day. 
it, he, yeah. re- he really had to work hard, you know. He, he, I think she actually has a bit of a um, sore spot for people who are. I want to I want to phrase this carefully, but like, it's it strikes me that she's harder on people like Rain, and like um, and and like the Empire eighty eight members who are basically part of like a a, a gang, like an ideological gang that they were raised in than she is on people who sort of made their own mistakes. And I wonder what that says about the fact that she was kind of raised in this Cape family, if anything. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's interesting. I also think it's one of the things she specifically mentions here when she's kind of calling bullshit on his, how, how, how much contrition he actually has is, is first of all, he was super violent. So it's, it's like, she's, measuring the level of bad stuff they did and then also he did this when he was an adult that is a big thing to her like he was a full-fledged adult when he made these choices and did these bad things and so there is something i think and and i think the reason why she's gotten to a place with rain is because that distinction right rain was a kid um and Mm -hmm. and so i think it's 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 really interesting to see where she draws those lines where she says this is something I'm not cool with because of this. I'm cool with it in this situation. The other thing that's interesting about this is we've seen this from her throughout the story, this like this reticence and and uncertainty about the amnesty. But the thing about Victoria is, is while she feels these things, it almost never like stops her action, right? Like she, she's not like she, she doesn't, like the fact that these Empire 88 people are, are with the hero groups, she's not going to actually like do anything about it. Right. And, and I'm not saying she's an, a passive person. It's just like she she while she doesn't like these things, she prioritizes other stuff more. So it's like, yeah, I'm not happy with this. I don't like it. I don't I, I'm glad that the general public isn't buying Victor's apology. I'm glad of that. But I'm not going to like go to the wardens and be like, you can't you can't put him on these missions. He's a bad guy still. And I think that's a very interesting distinction because I think if the wardens had said breakthrough work with Victor, I think she would have done it. Yeah. Right. I think she understands the, the like strategic need for the amnesty, which, which basically that's kind of how she defends it to Nieves later. It's, it's like, it's a, it's a necessary strategic compromise, but that doesn't mean she has to be happy about it. That's her take anyway. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's it's so fascinating to me because it's like it seems like we're, we're like giving her a, a rough time for this, but it's not like she's letting these feelings like disrupt the mission or anything. Right. She's not. She just feels them. She is. She's strong. She's opinionated. And, and they're going to matter towards the choices she's going to make in the future. But like, I, I think it's great that like it's not like she's going to be the one that's like, excuse me, get those people right. out of here. Yeah. And unless and I've muddied the waters with with what I was saying, like, I, I'm not saying she's being unfair to Victor. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm saying like, it's interesting where she chooses to right. go, g- kind of go on an internal mental tirade at people and where yeah. she doesn't yeah. like, like Rune kind of gets a pass relative to Victor, even though Victor was the one who wrote the apology. Right. That's, that's more what I was trying to draw attention to. Yeah. Um, I mean, R- Rune, Rune's pass is like, well, that she doesn't uh, get dragged basically. Yeah. It's like, it's like, I don't, 
she's not even trying. So, yeah. Meh. But yeah, here's yeah. here's this guy that is just faking it in her yeah. mind, kind yeah. of. And he might be like, like, that's the thing is we don't know. Like we have I haven't the, the text doesn't, doesn't have the letter letter read. I just think it's interesting that where that she chooses to kind of go off on here, like the blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Really jumped out at me. Right. Yeah. That's pretty, pretty harsh for her. Yeah. Right. And I guess, should we talk about, um, should we talk about Gundak a little bit here? Cause I, I'm not sure I, I went into this less, but he's this guy that like promised his significant other that he was done with that life. He had left that life behind and it turns out that was a total lie. And, uh, this teacher exposed that lie and now he's have, has rough problems with his significant other. I thought that was good. I thought that was actually a good touch, like writing wise, because if that element hadn't been there, then you would then you might sort of at least subconsciously be thinking like, oh, well, it seems like all teachers doing is airing everybody's like terrible things they've done, which they maybe deserve to have known publicly. Mm -hmm. Whereas Gundak, like he's basically just like a hero who can't stop himself from being a hero and that's his worst crime. Yeah. Yeah. And he, um, and he lied. Yeah, yeah. He lied to his wife. Wife. I think they say, I don't know, but um, family, I thought it yeah. said, but yeah, I but I know. mean, that's, that's cool too, because tying all this back to Victoria, we have, we have our two empire 88 people that are people that did terrible things in the past and are trying to work better. And, and teacher is exposing their, their terrible past in a way that's damaging themselves. That relates to, you know, some of the ways Victoria feels about her past. Um, then we have Gundek who is getting, uh, teacher's method is like damaging his relationship with his family. Of course, Victoria has a very complicated relationship with her family that could be even more exploited through teachers messings. Can't imagine what, what they could do there. And we might find out. Yeah. Um, but I, I just like that a lot. It's like all these different, all these different methods, all these, specific examples that victoria dives into relate back to her in interesting ways yeah i agree, I agree with that yeah all right uh before we move on matt we we can't let the moment pass by where victoria like looks at rain's costume and says i approve to herself she doesn't tell him that she no. says it to herself and it's almost a moment where you could be like wow victoria was really nice to rain there which is impossible. That can't happen. Um, but then you remember that her and Ashley were pretty key in helping him design his look. So really, she's kind of just complimenting herself. Right. That's pretty funny, actually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that, that I mean, that's a great point. It's also sort of just fun to, like, keeping track of Rain as this background, well, not background character, this this side character, you know, secondary yeah. character who is, has, like, come into his own, and now not only is he a badass, but he kind of looks like a badass. Yeah, he's going to be a real badass in these chapters. Yeah, so good for Rain. Mm-hmm. Uh, so as we move on into this meeting, uh, Scenario is leading the discussion, and Victoria reminds us again that she's not to be trifled with. <laughs> the plan for uh, the time being is for the individual teams to tackle problem villains who are trying to take advantage of the situation. Specifically, they want uh, Blue Stocking and Semiramis cooperating with the heroes, and they want Midas to end up cooling his heels in Prison World. Cool. My love, we're just doing this Prison World stuff all the time. Yeah. I wonder how much of this, as as we the assignments start to be doled out, how much of this is something that's like, under the surface being orchestrated by the wardens to specifically do something that we don't know about yet, because, you know, we get told by scenario that the leadership, the people we normally see giving these speeches, handing out these orders, they're busy doing other stuff. So she's here and she's going to be the one to outline the plan. 
But the plan is basically like wait and deal with this other stuff while we're waiting. And that like the result in that in the room is like everyone like, oh, fuck. Like like as Victoria said, everyone was like cracking already and are on the verge of breaking. And now they're being told you got to wait one, maybe two days until this is going to be resolved. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my interpretation, I think, was that was that the wardens are moving the chess pieces in preparation for the attack on teacher. But uh, you have to assume that it's 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 going to be some pretty oblique moves so the teacher doesn't immediately yeah. see that's what they're doing. Yeah. But I mean, it isn't like scenario is known as the hard ass. We get reminded again that she's like the most like infamous for being a hard ass. And, and now, like conveniently, she's the one giving the bad news to the group that that it, they're going to be like, sorry, you're going to have to just wait and do this other stuff while you're waiting. It feels like that's a perfect message for the hard ass leader to give. Right. Yeah. Um, to Like the the sorry to disappoint you. But here's here's other busy work you have to do in the meantime. Um, and also this idea that like, we'll see, we'll talk a minute about how breakthrough is assigned to PR. Um, some of the other groups are dealing with blue stocking and, uh, Samiramis who, you know, are two characters that, you know, Victoria <laughs> has dealt with, like she has a whole arrangement with blue stocking. So, I mean, you could argue, you could make the argument that, that breakthrough would be good characters to deal with that issue. Um, but we don't, we don't put them there. So, yeah, I mean, I think there is some, I think you're right. There's some chess pieces moving in the background that that the rest of the group doesn't really get get uh, a window into yeah right i mean it, it's interesting like well, i guess we'll talk about their decision to um to, to be sent on the pr thing in a minute but but it's interesting because at first you're like um oh oh no you really don't want to <laughs> you really don't want to put breakthrough in that position uh-uh. um but but then you realize like oh they don't have any better like that's true like scenario says they don't really have anybody better yeah suited to the task and you're like oh god they're screwed um but anyway yeah i, I before we like i just like to pick out language sometimes and and the, the phrase corner world which i mean I, I just sometimes i just forget that it's a neologism unique to this story because it's such a good term like it just the first time you see it you're like yeah okay i, I get it it's, it's a world that's sort of, sort of like it's connected to the other worlds through portals, but it's kind of off to the side and maybe not yeah. as connected and, and not as centrally connected and backwater. Yeah, I get it. It's great. I like that because, yeah, there's nothing like there's nothing that makes sense about that, like, uh, like out of context. Like, what does that mean? But yeah. it, you hear it and it makes perfect sense to you. Like, like it just it's it, it's good. I, I like that you pulled that out because I'd never really thought about that. It's just I just took it for granted because it's like you hear the word, the hear the words, and you're like, oh yeah, that yeah. makes sense. But right. yeah, it's like, wait a minute, because I was thinking, I was yes, thinking, does, but was, why? Right, like I was thinking about like I, I read a lot of different science fiction authors, and I was like, you know, if if a different science fiction author were trying to capture the same thing, then they would probably like look up the word for like a corner node in a graph or something and then, and then like give that word. And, and then, and, but the thing is like Wildbo is exactly correct in, in thinking that people would just use like a simple few syllables word that captures the concept very. And then, and then that would be what, what reaches fixation as a, as a, as a term. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I just, that's, I just thought it was really cool. So breaking up the flow of the information slash orders coming from Scenario, we have Vista using her power to stretch out Byron's straps and make his armor adjustment impossible, which I guess is a type of flirting for Vista. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 very specific playground level 
flirting yeah. from Vista. Um, I'm not sure how I feel about it because on the one hand, I like Byron. I like Vista. Them being together would be great. On the other, romantic entanglements are rough for Capricorn in general. Um, and I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how much I want to encourage them to get into one that would complicate the issue between the brothers in certain ways. Um, we know Rain is like totally gung ho for it. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty hilarious, actually. Yeah. I do like how this comes like in the middle of this super, super hard ass speech from scenario. Right. This almost feels like school like like the teacher is at the front of the room like instructing the class handing out the assignments the kids are goofing off instead of paying attention and then it even ends in this way where scenarios just yeah. like breakthrough yeah and that's just all at once we were at attention <laughs> like, yeah, like right. she wasn't specifically like being like pay attention but that's just the way it comes off is because there's like this this goofing around between these two characters and then suddenly breakthrough yeah <laughs> it's, right it's really great yeah you imagine someone like dropping something in their haste to stand at attention right right it's great uh yeah so scenario then you know like like we talked about she orders them to deal with the rising parahuman sentiment do some pr and <laughs> and you know what i mean like victoria and and us the reader are both like oh oh no 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 um <laughs> this is bad ma'am excuse me ma'am uh this is it's a bad idea yeah it's, have you yeah. met us? Just look at there's we got rain. We there's an Ashley here. Yeah. This guy murdered his brother, but turns out he didn't. Yeah, I'm not. I, guys, yeah. look, I'm as, not doing well as the PR expert of this team. I'm going to have to tell you about this concept called optics. <laughs> oh, yeah. Speaking uh, of optics, we have somebody named optics and they're also really kind of. Yeah, they've ter- got terrible. real bad optics. Yeah, yeah right. Um. Yes. But this is it's really great. I I love it. Um, It's it's extremely difficult to see this as anything but a really, really bad idea. Um, And of course, we find out that actually things go rather well. And that's cool. Um, And you got to wonder once again what the wardens are doing here. (laughs) It's it's so it's so on the surface of a bad idea that you're like, maybe they know something. Maybe they're trying to do something else that that our party is just not uh, privy to yet. You know? Yeah, I don't know. right. Some kind of in-dimensional chess thing where if mm-hmm. the point is actually not what it appears to be. I mean, I, I, I'm sort of always suspecting things like that when we when you have like high level thinkers and, and so forth. But right. Yeah. I mean, another thing that I don't think I have mentioned yet is like I just assumed that teacher like probably knows that they're going to attack him. Like like we saw his surveillance facility the idea that this like foot placement thing is going to throw off this like team of of you know enhanced people who are studying Victoria's every movement they're not gonna you know just look at it and be like oh yeah she's doing yeah. the foot thing like like that's kind of where my head went like and and so and maybe the wardens know that and so there's like another level of 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 something going on yeah. I don't know I, I tend to overdo these things and and it's entirely possible that teacher is actually going to be blindsided but i I don't know i don't know i don't know Uh, i mean one of the things that i think is cool here in victoria in her classic her kind of overthinking is dividing all the heroes into three groups she's like everyone's got their orders they're going to do their thing and she's like well okay here we got our three groups the the first group is the third that feels like this is just busy work and they want to attack now she says these are ones that still have secrets out there and they haven't been exposed yet but every delay 
that they have uh, risks those secrets being exposed. The second third is the group that feels like this is stupid and they're doomed. Um, they've already had their secrets exposed, but things are so bad and they've kind of convinced themselves that this attack is going to be really bad no matter what. The, the, I think she says those people will have their chin ups today, but they will be terrified of tomorrow. And then Victoria slots herself in the final special third, who's like, why not both? This is just busy work meant to distract us for a couple days because things are going to be really awful and it's going to go super bad. And that's me, Victoria. That's where I fit. Yeah. I got to do the busy work. And also it's going to be super, super bad. Victoria, um, very psychologically balanced right now. Right, right. But it, I mean, it's interesting, like speaking you know, about breakthrough is that Victoria puts these people in these three groups and is noting how each of these groups is responding to the different things. And it's like you feel like you, you get the feeling here that, that the wardens are subtly manipulating the group, either they're they're yes giving them busy work to distract them giving them other work to do to kind of you know maybe get them some smaller wins um before things get really bad or just keep them busy like a lot of a lot of victoria's coping mechanisms herself are keep busy keep busy keep busy don't stop if i stop i think if i think i'm doomed um and and so that seems like that would be a warden technique as well um and 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 like i said putting yeah. breakthrough in this PR situation might be something they they are planning that they have not revealed to yeah. the group yet. I don't know. I mean, it's funny because I hadn't thought about this at all until you've kind of prompted me right now. And I'm like, well, maybe this is literally all subterfuge. Like maybe they're going to tell they're, they're telling everybody, yeah, attack's not going to be for a couple days and teachers watching them all and, and like basically reading their minds, practically speaking and, and mm-hmm. sees like, yeah, OK, the attack's not coming for a couple days. And then like two hours from now, Valkyrie smashes into his hideout and melts it to the ground. Yeah. Like, like that, yeah, that I would mean, be the, that would be the, that would be the, uh, the subterfuge, right? But we yeah. know that they don't have window into the bunker, right? Yeah. Because of the custodian interlude. Yeah. And which is, which I, th- which uh, once again, I think was a great decision because otherwise I would be just absolutely certain that teacher right. was watching this. Right. Right. Yeah. But I mean, I, I don't think it's too unreasonable to say that, while we feel like we we know that 100%, how comfortable are the heroes about that? They think it. They think, you know, using their thinkers, using people like Tattletale, they don't have any kind of window into this place. Um, but they don't know it for sure. Yeah. Yeah, right. I mean, it's like, because basically the next thing that happens is it, it basically seems like Tattletale and some other thinkers have like picked out some moles from the group. And they kind of take him upstairs. Uh, that's that's my parsing of the scene. And and Tattletale like says specifically, teacher doesn't know what what we're planning. And mm-hmm. I mean, usually we trust Tattletale. Like she's been wrong before, but I feel like I feel like right now she's sort of serving as like the voice of of truth in the story. Maybe. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, um, I, like you said, I mean, I, I guess I guess this is all meant to tell us, like, yeah, the heroes actually have their infosec unlock. Yeah, I mean, I, I I don't feel a reason to doubt her in that case. Like, I don't I don't know. Like, I, I don't know how much the, the story is like weaving around this complex trickery or not. You know, I don't I, I don't think so. I, I think she's probably right there. Um, but I mean, what this does, regardless of whether Tattletale is 100 percent correct in that or not, is it establishes the tension of the rest of the arc because we've got moles here. We caught them this time. Teacher doesn't know what they're planning yet. But every moment, every delay is a risk that this is going to get exposed. Like everything is on such thin ice here. They're so they're 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 tricking him for now, 
but how long is that going to last? There's moles everywhere that we don't know what's going on. Like it's, it's so tenuous and, and breakthroughs in charge of PR. <laughs> yeah. Right. And I think it's just a great way of, of setting the tension is like, look, he might not have caught on yet, but the clock is ticking. Like it, it almost as if it is inevitable that he's going to find out what they're doing. The path to victory is executing it before he finds out. Yeah. I think that's a good point. And, and, by delaying the attack by a day or two, they're making it even mo- even more risky, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So then we uh, we cut to breakthrough, looking over a large crowd of people gathered at what is ostensibly a book interview thing, uh, but what is actually mainly just uh, Gary Nieves doing some more anti-parahuman rabble rousing. Hooray! So the first part of the scene focuses on the team's continuing attempts to seem like they're all on edge, which seems to be leading them to all be on edge. <laughs> Um, including Rain's delightful uh, for, forced religious swears. Yeah, which, like that. Maybe uh, bring bring the Jesus back into the swear a little bit, <laughs> just to really sell that. Yeah, Christ. <laughs> I, I, I really enjoy imagining Rain doing that. Mm-hmm. But like, for all that, that's funny. Uh, most of it is downright uncomfortable and unpleasant. Like, like take Tristan for example. Everything he's saying in this scene is stuff we know bothers Tristan. He acts really mad that Byron is talking about how much he loves Moonsong. He acts really mad that Sveta put words in his mouth when he when he was phased out. He gets furious when he's asked if he has any boys he's interested in because of all of the reasons we've talked about. Like, it's all stuff we know bothers him. Um, but, you know, he's just pretending his feet are planted in a certain way, so everything's okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, and if I had to pick a thing, one of the things that I think this story has done very well across the board is have different ideas and different and I'm, I don't want to call them gimmicks because they're not really gimmicks, but it's just different like structural techniques in the different arcs to do and explore different parts of storytelling. I mean, last last arc, we talked about how we kind of shifted to a noir detective story, like a buddy cop thing. And the, the genre of the story kind of shifted. We had that whole arc when Victoria was under the under the thrall of goddess and, and everything she was doing was had to be interpreted through that lens. And this is, I think, another moment of Wild Bill doing that is taking this this idea of faking anger and faking um, th- th- like breaking as a way of tricking teacher and, and, and therefore as a way of exploring our characters at their weakest with this shield of no, it's just an act. And it's such a fascinating dynamic. I love it. I, I, I think it's so interesting because like you, the reader are kind of forced to parse this through multiple lenses, right? Um, everything being said here is fake, but it's not, it's, it's fake fighting. Like it's like, it's, it's like the idea that sarcasm is just like safe hostility. Like where you're just, you're being sarcastic. You're disguising what you're saying as humor, but it has underlying feelings of truth behind it. And, and that, and that is kind of what I think we're seeing here is this is truth disguised as intentional hostility. Um, and, and it's also, if you think about it, a way for these characters to vent without fear of reprisal. Like if Tristan is in some part of his mind actually feeling frustrated at Byron, which would be a perfectly understandable, normal thing to feel, they have a tough situation. He can he can complain about it right now. He can vent about it. He can say fuck him yeah. to his brother without fear of reprisal because 
no, I had my feet in a, per- in a certain way. I'm safe. I, I was, it's just part of the act, guys. It's just part of the act. Don't worry about it. And that is inherently fascinating, you know, from a character perspective, but also like just the experience of reading it because you kind of you get swept up into it and you're not sure who or what to believe, how much you should read into the stuff and how much you shouldn't. It just kind of puts you on your toes. Yeah, and it doesn't help that our point of view character is pretty much just as off balance as we are. Like, right. like she she is fully aware of the fact that Tristan is going a little hard, you know, and and, and in a minute that that swan song is going a little hard, mm-hmm. um, particularly against her, and and Victoria is not really like signaling, like, hey back off because you're uh, like she's she's saying back off but within the rules of kind of the game they're playing for all for all ashley knows it's like oh yeah yeah i must have said a good thing because she's acting like i heard her feelings <laughs> right like like it's i mean i don't I, I actually think ashley's smarter than that but um it definitely like the fact <laughs> the protagonist is in this headspace you're kind of brought into it too you would think ashley's smarter than that but you'd also think ashley was smart enough not to not to bring up what she did to carol even if it's during just an act, you know, like you, you would think you would think, think. yeah, I don't know. We'll talk about Ashley quite a bit in in this subsequent chapter. Yeah. One of the things I wanted to, before we move on, focus on is just like, I think this is one of those things that like it's looks deceptively simple to write and is actually really complicated. Like just, just having to construct your scenes in this way in which they're layered. It reminds me I'm very behind in packed, as to where the deep impact guys are but it reminds me of the kind of truth saying game that that the characters impact have to play yeah where like everything that everything is is complex on multiple levels at the same time where you can't just where, where the text is almost demanding that you see beyond the surface of what the characters are saying and i think it's hard to construct scenes that way that like work on both those levels, but still feel propulsive and, and doesn't like alienate your reader because they get confused. I think it's hard to do. Yeah. And I think, I think it's, it's being done well here. Well, yeah. Cause, cause not only do you have to keep to the consistency of the character you've created, but you have to have that character behave out of character. Right. And yet but have still that within character. Right. Yeah. 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 It's, it's pretty awesome. I agree. Mm-hmm. And, and, and thanks for pointing it out. Cause it's, it's yeah. easy to overlook. Yeah. Yeah. There's also there's also, Matt, this one moment where Victoria is looking down at the scene and she sees the woman whose uh, whose book signing it is. And she says a narrow woman with a sh- with short black hair shot through with gray was speaking face displayed on screens. I recognized her, but couldn't place the name. I was so bad with non parahuman names. And I love this because like. It's like reinforcement of Victoria's importance and prioritization of capedom over regular people and like her awareness of that like this is the girl who a couple chapters ago like read about the old man once in a file years ago and then was like yeah that's that's him i found him case 12 you know the old man aka (laughs) case 12 yeah Yeah. Yeah, and then then here she's like bookie book woman yeah exactly exactly i mean it's so it it is it's just a fun little fascinating window into just how how cape oriented victoria's lens is always i mean something we already knew but here's reinforcement of it i mean this is a out of left field and almost certainly false but i wonder if this is like a power thing like encyclopedic like like 
a bit of recall for all yeah. things cape that does not extend to the rest of life uh, um, yeah i think that's probably I, it's I, too I, far <laughs> i think yeah i mean i think not i think it actually just works better for it to just be a, a character trait that this has been her whole life because it's like you know if you're if your parent is like a professional athlete then mm-hmm. you're probably gonna be into whatever that sport is really hard right um yeah except now you're also that that sport whatever yeah Mm-hmm. Uh, so at this point, Sveta peels herself like an onion and uh, folds all of her costume elements inside her body so she can sneak into the meeting. Uh, and she mentions that this is apparently uncomfortable. So this is kind of cool. We get to see what's going on with Sveta now. Yeah, I sat with this moment for a while, Matt, um, because I was kind of like I was it's like a curveball to me. I was like, oh, w- wow. Yeah. Um, I think one of the cool things about it is we see. We're told in this moment that Sveta's current costume is salvaged from the piece of her old prosthetic body, right? So yeah. she took pieces of that body and and made a costume out of it. So we see in Sveta here, we kind of see her three, the three different levels of her. We see the the new human body, we see the prosthetic body, and we see the tenderly self all combined into one person. We spoke last week about how we hoped that Sveta was going to be a combination of who she was and who she is and not just her chasing this impossible goal of being that girl again. Right. Like she, that, she points that picture and says, I want to be her. And we were like, Oh God, is she going to chase that goal that she can't ever possibly get to? And I think this to me is kind of visual representation of no, she is going to be more of a, a, a combining a melding of all these different parts of them. She's all of three of those things together now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And you know, we don't spend a lot of time on Sveta, so we don't really, we can't really see whether she's loving this, you know. I mean, she seemed really happy last uh, last week, right? Yeah. Um, but, uh, I mean, how, how, is she, how is she holding up, you know? Yeah. Is yeah. it, has the novelty worn off yet, right? Yeah. Probably not yet. Seems pretty, yeah. seems pretty fresh, actually. But um, I, I, This, I mean, I, I liked this a lot once I kind of went down this path of thinking because then as on my reread, I got back to the point that we're going to get to in a bit where, where Swan Song says, um, I'm both all three. I'm who I was, who I am, and who I want to be. And... I think that's very poetic in that we kind of see Sveta in her costume, in her body, in her tendrils, an example of that. She is who she was. She is who she is. And she is who she wants to be. And that's I cool. think that's really cool. Yeah, I like that. I, I, let's let's keep track of that, this arc, as, as kind of a thing that's reflecting around. Because um, I, I, I feel like that's kind of a, an arc theme that's been stated out now by, yeah. by Ashley. Mm-hmm. Ashley gets a lot of good lines, doesn't she? Yeah, oh, she does. So speaking of Ashley, at around this point, Swan Song starts being pretty aggressive, poking at really sensitive spots. Um, bitch at us when you when you don't have any parents like Sveta, when you've killed them by your own hand like I did, or when you've smeared your mom's head across concrete like Victoria did. <laughs> my blood ran cold. Ashley met my eyes and there was nothing there. Cold, emotionless, unflinching. Yikes. I know better swan song. Um, I mean, she's really, she's really selling. She's really like gung ho for this mission. Oh, she's selling it. Yeah. Yeah. And again, like, I wonder if on some level, like with Tristan, it's an excuse to get to, to live out the, the nagging tendency that she's been holding back a little bit because she doesn't have to worry about it. Like these, these are definitely things that I think an earlier version of Ashley would have said. These are definitely things that I think damsel would have said. 
Um, but they are, these are not things that the Ashley we had seen the last few arcs saying. Yeah, um, certainly not. Certainly not. I, I, I think that she's like she she made some borderline remarks you know recently but uh th- this is this is way across the line and she knows it yeah and, yeah, she's, and, if, and she's saying it because it's across the line right 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 i mean that's it's it's by design but yeah, yeah i mean but you would think she would she would, would be able to know that that there's there's crossed the line and then there's really really far across the line you're there um, yeah. and also we have this recurring motif of her eyes right this is something we've gone back to to with ashley several times throughout the story that that she looks into ashley's eyes and doesn't see anything sees a cold emotionless nothingness um this is the same look she gave right before she murdered bob so like this is this is we're calling back to this very specific non-swan songy thing and it's scary. It's really scary. Victoria gets scared by all this. Yeah, it's interesting because I, I, I think different readers um, have different takes on where Ashley actually is internally because I, d- I don't actually just immediately kind of swallow Victoria's take. I, I, think, that, I think that Victoria is herself extremely off balance and, and compromised and therefore very prone to seeing what Swan Song is doing as being um an indication of like oh she she really thinks this she really hates all of us or whatever yeah um and uh, we'll talk about that a little bit more in a second when she kind of uncorks a bit more yeah but i mean i th- i think you're right though i think I'll, this is i think the next chapter is more reflective on what's going on with victoria than it is what's going on with ashley almost which is right. kind of crazy to say because it's like an ashley driven chapter but um anyway yeah. we'll we'll get there yeah I wanted to I just wanted to point out that line that I talked about earlier where where Victoria is like trying to say it's like you're sounding like damsel earn your reputation as swan song don't lean on what you did as damsel and she replies I'm both all three who I was who I am and who I want to be and Victoria's response to that is I guess don't let one happen at the cost of the other two (laughs) and Ashley's response is I'll do that as soon as you take your own advice which is like amazing <laughs> in a bad way. Cause like she's right. Like, I mean, this is, this is ironically something that Victoria is herself struggling with constantly. And I just, I think that's, <laughs> it's like remarkably observational of, of Ashley while also being like, yikes. Right. Yikes. Cause Victoria doesn't like make the conscious parallel of like, Oh yeah, I've got the whole glory girl thing right in my past. And, and, uh, and is tends to be beholden to the past in a way that I think Ashley is actually kind of past now. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's that's cool. Yeah, yeah. I, I love that line. Ashley gets a lot of a lot of good lines in this chapter. Yeah, and I think I think that's important too because that's going to come up again. This idea of I am damsel, like I I am still that person that did those things, and 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 I mean like you people change, right? I mean Ashley has changed, but you are still the same person who did the bad things. Like that is still part of you somewhere. Even if, even if you're moving beyond it, even if you're getting better, even if you're, you're, that is still part of who you are and you can't just pretend like that. That's not there anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. So as they're watching this meeting that's happening below them, uh, Nieves is showing an image of Swan Song on the screen, uh, which prompts Ashley to immediately decide her presence is required. And she just steps <laughs> off the roof I've been summoned. Uh, yep. The so Ashley the, signal. It, it, exactly. So the team then makes their way down to the street in style 
uh, Swan Song and to a lesser extent Tristan agree that they need to make an appearance at this meeting, uh, but they agree to let Victoria take point because she seems to be the one who's like <laughs> urging restraint. Uh, I don't know if that was a good call. <laughs> yeah, and, and well, I mean, what's funny is like she she kind of doesn't take point. No, well, like it's like I mean, Victoria is like, all right, we're gonna engage. They've just given me point. I'll use the minute we have here as he's getting his, through his presentation um, to 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 try to figure out what my arguments are. I didn't have any. Yeah. <laughs> it's like she has she has no strategy here. She has no approach. They've they've made her take point here and she just has no idea how to engage with this at all. And we're going to see that she just really doesn't doesn't do a good job. I mean, well, we'll talk about it. Let's let's get to it. Yeah. Right. So uh, Victoria continues to have a very um, Victoria approach to things when challenged on the idea that pair humans aren't human. She says, um, yeah, so 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 basically, like she she doesn't she doesn't defend that point, and then and then when when he's like, oh, so you're just so you 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 agree with me, and she says, I think my energy is better spent on other arguments, whatever you want to call us. We think we feel we have ties to loved ones, introduce humanity to an alien race from another planet, and all those qualities. Uh, sorry, with all those qualities, and I'd protest any cruelty or injustice turned their way. And like, I think this is great because I I agree with everything Victoria just said. In fact, that's exactly the kind of nerdy shit that I would say. <laughs> but it's probably not a super crowd-pleasing thing to say, right? Like right. it's it's not hitting on the same like emotional wavelength yep. as the things that Gary is saying. It's not the kind of response that'll take the power out of Nieves' calculated barbs. Victoria is appealing to logic. Her arguments sound good. You, the reader, nod along and you agree. And in part of your mind, you think, why the heck? Don't people see it that way, too? The problem is Gary is appealing to emotion. That's what he's go- that's that's what his goal is here. His goal is not to fight you logically. His goal is to trigger emotion in people. And you can't fight emotion with logic. It's just like emotion's going to win. People were emotional creatures, right? Like we like to be- believe we're logical and rational. And but when people are scared and worried and you have a guy here telling you you're right to be scared and worried. That's the reason right there. You're just not going to win logically. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and the whole next chapter is basically this, uh, this idea fully illustrated, right? Yeah. So for now, uh, Nieves shows like a rapid series of images, each showing a different group of parahumans in charge of a different, uh, one of several earths. And Victoria is completely unprepared and just mentally derailed by having seen a picture of the Red Queen, her sister, uh, leaving a, a silence into which steps Rain. And Rain kind of takes charge in a sense by saying, Nieves is right. Yeah. First of all, screw Gary. <laughs> His whole go to slide, blah, blah, blah. Oops, not Oops, that one. Yeah. Oops, no, not that one. Oops, right. no. Fuck you, okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean that's the that's the whole appeal to emotion thing, though. That's what he's doing. I mean, but. that's exactly the thing. Is like he he's this clever showman who's very prepared, and Victoria is like, "Hold on, now, let me explain." Yeah, and it's like that's not the correct move here. Yeah, like in the back of his head, I'm sure when he appealed at this thing, he was like, "Oh, I hope someone shows up." <laughs> right. Oh, I hope they do. Yeah. Right. I mean, I, I still feel like Gary is sort of like someone's puppet, right? Because so, yeah, someone's yeah. and they even imply like someone's giving him all this information and right. they're giving it to him in like a package that's, that's designed to be incendiary. Because I actually for all that Gary is easy to, to dislike, I don't think that he 
I think that if he knew the full context around like around Victoria hurting her mom, I don't think he would have used it that way because it it would have it it would just be incorrect, right? He do, he doesn't yeah. want to say things that he can get caught out on, right? Like that's if I've, nothing else, he doesn't want to just be caught out being wrong. Yeah, I've got a lot of thoughts on Gary that I think we're gonna spend a lot of time talking about. Yeah, <laughs> today. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, Rain steps up and is like it's a we we're with you <laughs> yeah um and and i think this is great because i think this is an appeal to emotion kind of like this is like this is fucked we agree with you you're right we're on the same side it, it's like it's rain stepping up in a way that like it's not ashley it's not tristan victoria's dealing with her shit it's rain it's rain that steps up and is like yep um and it's because it's rain i think out of any of these characters like and we'll see that next chapter he's like yeah, we got to fix this shit. Like rain has been the actually, yes, capes are bad person throughout this entire story. Yeah. Didn't rain not participate in the hard boiled, uh, fiasco. I believe that is correct. Yeah. And, and like the, and, and they, they had their, their reason for, for doing that at the time. Um, but the thing jail, is, right? I think he was in jail. Yeah. And like, yeah, exactly. He was in jail. Yeah. Um, and the thing is like that whole conversation everyone who was present pretty much came off as very defensive because they were being attacked and it was, and it's kind of like, they're all kind of like aggressive slash vulnerable type people. Tristan's mm-hmm. very aggressive. Ashley's very aggressive. Victoria's very logical. Kenzie was just kind of being a punching bag, but rain is rain is just this guy who just wants to like connect, you know, yeah. like, like, and, and it's kind of perfect that he's the one who steps into this void here. Yeah, I agree. So yeah, let's move on into fourteen dot three because we pick right right up with uh, with Rain kind of spearheading this. So that mm-hmm. again, the, the this chapter is basically this tense conversation in front of a crowd, which is a great type of recurring tension in this story. We just referenced the hard boil interview uh, again. Um, natural leader and appearances conscious protagonist Victoria is thrust into a high visibility situation against a man armed with all of her vulnerabilities. And we see her struggle. Yeah. And the thing that I love about this is it again, true to Victoria's character. She feels like she has to be the one to manage this conversation. Like if you were to break down this verbal sparring into a parahuman type fight, this would be go like her going up against someone who is like specifically designed to take down a brute, right? To specifically designed to take down Victoria's power set. You probably, if you were Victoria, just wouldn't engage in that fight. You would say, no, I'm not going to fight that person. I'll go fight someone else. Um, I'll let someone else on my team go. And she has trouble doing that here. And the rest of her team does get to step up and, and put some good jabs in themselves. She feels like she needs to manage it still, even while she's, spiraling into this dark place she still feels like she needs to manage it and in fact a little bit later in the chapter i'm jumping a little head a little bit here but she says she she has to like i couldn't afford to let the other stumble through this with their own worst traits being highlighted i couldn't let myself sink into my own worst mires of thought so like not only does she she have to keep stepping in because she's worried about her teammates but like not stepping in means she's going to be stuck in her own head and so like it's it's again her her need to do need to, to you can't be caught with her thoughts. I need to go. I need to do. I need to be doing something. And it's like it's once again her putting everyone else's health above her own because like she's, she's wading into this conflict again when really probably the best thing for her to do maybe would just be to like back off. Yeah. But 
I, I think some of the actions that she takes in this conversation are counterproductive. Like it yes. would have would have been better if she had just held back and let the thing happen. Yeah. But the idea of one of her one of her teammates worst traits being exposed is something she can't stand because she, she she's a hero, right? Like that's yeah. just she's got the hero complex where she has to be the one. She has to be the one jumping on that grenade, even though someone else might be designed for grenade jumping on. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, I like this line. The thought crossed my mind that we could have Kinsey intercept anything too crippling. It was a fleeting thought and one that sat uncomfortably in my head after it had fleeted. <laughs> so I, I love this because like, hey, Vicky, if it's still in your head, it didn't fleet. Um, fun fact, <laughs> no, fleet comes from float. I didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> Matt, she's not thinking about it. She's, she's just thinking about thinking about right. it. It's fine. I it mean, it's fleeting. What's funny is I'm actually sensitive to the distinction, like that you can be aware that you had a thought and not be approving of it. But like, yeah. but like it's, it doesn't, it doesn't fleeting to me in my lexicon means that like it passes through your head and then it passes out and then it's not something that you're dwelling on anymore. But now she's like dwelling on the fact that she had the thought, right? right. I, I don't know. I just... It's such a Victoria thing. It's like yeah. something popped into my head and now I'm just going to sit on just the the idea that the thing was capable of popping into my head makes me feel guilty. And it's like, yeah. oh, Victoria, it's great. I love you so much. Yeah. <laughs> so as for the dialogue in this chapter, um, I think we're going to have to break from a chronological rundown somewhat. Yeah, uh, we'll hit we'll hit the major points. Basically, the structure of the chapter is Victoria continually trying to pull herself together and take the lead. But being buffeted back by references to Amy or other other traumatic things. Um, specifically, one thing we learned toward the toward the beginning is that Amy has apparently done something similar to someone else. Uh, probably Carol. I'm not sure if we're supposed to pick what 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 exactly we're supposed to pick up from context. But um, I, I assumed it was Carol. Actually, yeah. I mean, I think I think that's what we're supposed to be feeling. I think that's the thing that pops into our head. We know Carol was going there to get help, um, and then so that's that's kind of the conclusion they want you to jump to at least. And I'm glad you're you're tackling the conversation this way, because this is very hard to talk about in our traditional, you know, step by step manner. Um, it's I mean, that's, this is the rest. Almost the rest of this chapter is this one conversation, right? This this dialogue between the team and Gary. And the thing that I love about it is you're absolutely right that Victoria is like it's like a it's a series of skirmishes, right, where she'll like she'll like go in for the attack, get nailed with something, retreat, and then one of the other members will will step up while she's kind of collecting herself. And as soon as she sees a path that's something that is not like a, a, a red flag for her, she kind of jumps back in and gets knocked back again. And that's kind of back and forth throughout this. It, it's really constructed to be almost like a battle, um, but just with words. And I think it's great. I love it. Yeah, right. And I mean, basically... Gary is is like continually pivoting, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, and he's I mean he's 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 doing this thing where like like he sees like to go back to the topic of her sister, which yeah. he's like he's trying to take Victoria out. Like it it seems like his goal is to remove her from this conversation. Um yeah. and anytime she starts to to insert herself in it again, he's like, "Oh, well, Amy." Yeah. It's it's like and it's like it's awful, but maybe he wants her to lash out with her with her power again. And like, I mean, we did see her use her aura on Hard Boil, right? Yeah, I think, I think she does. 
I think she, he does want that again. He wants, and she does lash out at her with her aura, just not at him this time. Right, right. But it, I mean, I I see a guy here who, who has been studying the tape of the hard boil interview for like. I don't know how long it's been. Let's say weeks. Let's say months. Let's say months. It's been months. <laughs> and he's been like studying it every night. And he's like, I want my rematch. And then like, here it is in, in front of him. And he's going to take full advantage of it. Yeah, he's just going to go. And they're just walking into it. Right. And I love like Victoria's reactions to the targeted barbs are different in a, in a very interesting kind of way. Right. Because as he's saying these bad things to targeted at victoria specifically it is her teammates specifically ashley that kind of escalate off of them and instead of really striking back at gary victoria is like channeling her frustration and her anger and some of her physical violence towards her own teammates here like like when when gary goes way too far and what happens is victoria turns and does a 180 and almost punches ashley because Ashley's starting to walk forward, right? Um, and, like, she does this thing where she's, like, she she turns around. So she turns her back to the guy who just said this thing to her. So he can't see her face. She's raises her hand and, like, hits Ashley in the collarbone. She doesn't really punch, but it's, it's like, raised in a punch-like manner. And then hides her face in her hair. So, like, her whole goal here is, I'm going to do horrible, but as long as I'm not physically combative combative i'll be okay and instead so she's like where can i put where can i put this and it's like oh ashley i'll put it there yeah and ashley's basically stepping forward to well defend herself but also defend victoria right right it's right. I, I i'd have to reread the scene but it is i wonder how much of this defensiveness is on is on victoria's behalf is and how much is on her own behalf um, yeah probably i mean i mean definitely some because because they're because because gary is is ragging on her for being part of the slaughterhouse nine. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, Ashley's definitely agitated. Yeah. Um, And I think one of the other things we should say about this entire conversation is Victoria stops looking at people's feet. Uh Right. We, we don't see right before they go, um, right before Ashley goes at, at the end of last chapter, she's, she like looks and sees Ashley's feet are, are, in a certain way that means this is all an act. So it's like, okay, this is all an act. And then as soon as things start to escalate in this conversation, we, we lose all visibility into what any of the characters are doing with their feet, with their hands, even, even the fight that happens at the end of the chapter, that's just between breakthrough. We don't see any of that. So it's like Victoria has maybe in her, in her kind of spiraling because of what, what's being brought up and the darkness that's encroaching on her thoughts like stops paying attention to the fact that some of this might be an act. And that's really important. I think. Yeah. I think that's exactly what's happened. Yeah. She, and I think a lot of it definitely is an act and, yeah. Uh, and yeah, so it's, it's, she, she is the one who's losing it most of all, because I feel like everyone else in breakthrough as agitated as, as they may be, they're, they're still putting on a, a bit of a front, whereas right. she's, she is, uh, you know, punching her teammate in the chest in front of a crowd. Right. Yeah. So. And using her aura on Ashley on yeah. Ashley. Yeah. Right. Um, let's talk a little bit about the Amy reveal here, though, yeah. that, that Amy has done what she did to Victoria to someone else is what we're told. Victoria is basically like praying that this is misinformation. She's like, it's a mantra she's repeating over and over again. Misinformation, misinformation, misinformation. What do you think? What is your interpretation on this? Do you think do you think it's true? Do you think it's a a, a, a twist of 
um, the truth a little bit? Or do you think Amy just accidentally did an uh-oh? I feel like everything Victoria um, has, I mean, sorry, everything that Gary has been saying is like superficially correct, but then there's like a twist. Yeah. Kind of so like the diary. That, that yeah. he's not aware of. Yeah. So like I, I, Amy probably did do something, but um, it's probably, I mean, basically it's, it's like um, either Rain or Tristan says everything he's saying is missing context and the context is, is the most important thing. So, right. so yeah, something probably did happen recently with Amy, but whatever Gary is saying is missing the context that makes it make sense. I think you're right. And, and I, I mean, I, I kind of like the, the, the Chris idea, right. That like, if Amy turns Chris into this horrible monster, um, that's what Chris wants. But to an outside observer, that's awful and horrible. And what have you done? Yeah, it's a good so, point. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. Interesting. Yeah. So yeah, Victoria's loss of her footing, uh, creates a space into which the other team members ably step Tristan plays to his own strengths, using a confident, steady energy to bull over Gary while not seeming overly aggressive. Ashley, on the other hand, brings an aggressive sense of self-righteousness, which may actually be serving a positive function here. Yeah, and I think one thing with it's clearly being established here, no matter what, is that Victoria's method of attack in this argument is not working. So seeing everyone else kind of get their own shots is pretty great here. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Gary, he like his style seems to be the, the, I'm just asking questions guy. In fact, he basically says that later. Uh, he's like, how did Citrine attain power easily? Probably by killing people. No, I don't have any evidence of that specifically. And, and then like when he's challenged on that point, he then pivots, moves the goalposts, wants to talk about Amy again, maybe. Um, and I, I mean, I hate people who argue this way in real life. Um, but it's definitely like effective in front of a crowd. Mm-hmm. So he, he he also challenges the amnesty um, and, you know, then like breakthrough points out that the amnesty was a necessary compromise that nobody is really fully happy with. And then he pivots to talking about Citrine and not really refuting their points. Um, and then you, you know, breakthrough argues that Citrine should be judged by how she's doing as may as mayor, not judged by her past. And then he's instead of, rebutting that he just picks on victoria's word choice when she says the best of us to refer to her fellow heroes and he just like won't let that go and you're just like yeah. oh my god you're which is so obnoxious because it's obvious what she fucking meant there right yeah. like the, the best of us is like the best of the heroes are fighting i'm sorry i have to spell that out for you but that's what i meant and you fucking know it right. and it, I, like we compared the hard boil episode to cable news right we said this is this is a commentary on cable news and how cable news works and once again, here we're seeing that Gary is basically like a Tucker Carlson or Ben Shapiro person, right? Yeah. This is not a debate. It's not actually about exchanging or arguing information or 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 politics or, or methodology or the correct solution to a problem. This is about Gary riling up people that already believe he's right and playing in to a bullshit game and acting like we're just having a fair debate and and like just asking questions. I think there's an argument to be made that mixed in with the bullshit is some good points that Gary makes and and some good questions that might need to be talked about. But that's not what's happening here. It's not it's not an argument. It's nothing. It's an excuse to say shitty things about things you don't know much about to rile up the people that already support you. So it's you're absolutely right. It's the most frustrating thing in the world. And like you almost see the futility in it at times when it's like it doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter what you come back with. It doesn't matter how 
well-constructed your argument is, how much it makes sense, how much we, the reader, know that that that's true, that what they're saying is right. Like, <laughs> when he goes, oh, Citrine didn't stop Scion? And you're like, dude, what the, what, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. But what's great is that, like I said, like, having that energy of, of Tristan and, and Ashley there to be like, oh, come on, man. Like, right, like in, right. in a way where it's like, Victoria basically describes it as being like this exact, this, especially Tristan kind of hitting this pitch perfect balance between being, you know, forceful, but also just being like taking the high ground. Yeah. Where, where it's like, you're, you're not, he, he's not like Tristan's not coming off as the one who's aggro, but he's also not going to let a, like a blatantly stupid remark like that pass. Right. And, right. and Ashley is coming off as aggro, but at least I found it. Victoria doesn't agree with me, but, but I found that like the fact that Ashley's coming from a place of like self-certainty and, and righteousness actually kind of works for me. I don't know. Like, I don't know how the average viewer of this thing would feel about it, but that, that was kind of, I guess because I know and love Ashley already, I, it's easier for me to see it that way. But um, there's like there's a certain power to self-righteousness, I think, if, yeah. if played correctly. Well, she also I mean, she also appeals to emotion. I mean, you know, the the literal throwing of the gauntlet and saying yeah. they took my hands. Yeah. Is is an is an exact is the exact kind of appeal to emotion that Gary Shapiro is doing. Yeah. And like he it, it kind of works. A little bit. And I, and I think that's really fascinating and we'll get there. We haven't quite got there. Yet. Yeah. So, yeah, Victoria being a bit off balance tends to just kind of automatically volley whatever is thrown at her. And uh, she remarks that Breakthrough has dealt with some of the worst of what's out there. And then when Gary challenges challenges her on this, she she starts talking about, oh, yeah, yeah, I have been through horrible things and t- talking <laughs> about having to pull a baby out of her throat. And, and it's oh like God. the opposite of the PR approach that they should be taking here. And, and Rain, like, as like physically is like, no. Nah. Let me just take over here. <laughs> right. Rain's like, yeah, there's been bad stuff, but there's been good stuff too, Victoria. Yeah. It's yeah. not all ch- chopping right. people into cu- cubes and pulling fetuses out of your mouth. Right. I mean, it's a really perfect little little microcosm here because yeah. like she's so sl- she's so like in the moment that she's not like reflecting on like the strategy. She's just like, right. I he said thing wrong. I I say thing right. 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 And um, yeah, yeah. And, and I love that it's rain that kind of pulls her back from that ledge again. Right. Rain, who has been this guy that has shown throughout the story now that he is not afraid to like confront Victoria when she's kind of going down the wrong path. Um, yeah. We don't see very many other of our team members do that. Right. Like it's not Ashley telling Victoria, hey, no, no, knock it off. It's yeah. not Tristan doing that here. Um, it's it's rain. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's, uh, you know, Sveta is not within range, right? Like she's, she, she's still yeah, incognito. Yeah. So she I think might've that's... been, Sveta might've been the one traditionally to pull her back, but yeah, she's not there to do that. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But, but it is in this moment, Matt, that Gary, you know, pivots the conversation again. And he says, when I meant it's ridiculous that you, t- you were talking about how you were fighting against the worst of them it's because you are the worst of them fratricide mall fire striking your mom so hard it took part of her head off and damaged her spine which holy shit matt yeah <laughs> we didn't know that yeah um the head is then, important yeah yeah it's a key key part of the body yeah um and then of course slaughterhouse nine pointing to ashley 
all representative of the worst that a pair of humanity can be per Gary. And then this is the moment that Ashley finally literally throws the gauntlet. Yeah. Which is great. Um, Cause I, I mean, again, I don't know if I'm like, this is my way of parsing the scene. I think everybody's entitled to their own kind of take on things. Right. Uh, like I think that Ashley's theatrical self-righteousness actually works really well because it, like, especially as a counterforce to Gary's particular kind of showmanship, when she pulls her stunt by throwing her hand at him, it basically shuts him up, right? Like, he, he, she says, wherever you're getting your information, you're not getting the full picture. You're attacking us for things that are far more complicated and, and unpleasant for us than you're aware. I hope so, in any event, because if you aren't ignorant, you're malignant. And and it doesn't, like, doesn't fully end the conversation, but but he doesn't have anything to say to that. He, do, he doesn't right. really rally back um, for, for an, another moment. Um, and when he does finally respond, he says, uh, I'm not going to lynch you. You're being ridiculous. We're asking questions. Yeah. Asshole. Uh, and, <laughs> and then Ashley replies without us here to answer them. When we do answer them, we're accused of derailing the difference between us, Gary, is that you have a kind of power here and you haven't even tried to be just kind or fair. But in my experience with breakthrough, I've seen that no matter how rocky the road gets, and it's rocky right now. It feels like if it feels like we're losing or we've lost, we still try. Uh, Gary held Gary still held Ashley's hand and he seemed lost in thought for a minute. No retort, no response. So like this is what I mean. Like he Ashley's got him on the ropes right here. And yeah, and, and not just like not just through rhetorical flair. Like I think she's getting to him. She's actually like cause I, again, I don't think he is. A horrible person i think he's indulging in what i consider to be despicable manipulative tactics yeah but but sh- but she has actually cut to kind of the quick of like he, he thinks he's a good person and she is she's basically saying you you right here you're attacking us who are trying to be heroes help people save people and you're doing it in a very despicable way and 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 she says that she communicates it in a way that he actually feels i, I think yeah i it's 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 Brilliant. I, I wanted to stand up and cheer. Um, I think it, it definitely in the moment, you know, makes him retreat and, and not counter and not keep this attack up. I don't know long term what the reaction publicly is going to be to this, whether um, that's going to be seen as, oh, look, th- they won and they convinced everyone and everyone understands now. But in the moment, they did get to Gary. And I think that's that is important. I don't want to take that away from them. I love the, the second quote you pulled out the appeal to power, right? Because power is a very loaded word in this conversation, right? Because the whole thing is that parahumans have power, humans don't have any, and they're, and they're terrified. And and not only do the parahumans have literal superpowers, but they have taken control of all power elements in the world. Every single one of these these uh, cities and, and universes is controlled and run by parahumans. They have all of it. We, the normal people, have none. But in this appeal to him, in this argument to him, she says, you have a kind of power here. You in this scene right now, you have the power. We don't. You have the power and and you're not using it fairly. You're not using it justly. You're not using it kindly. And and you we're 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 trying to do the best we can. You are in a situation now where you have power, you have a voice, you have people listening to you and, and you are not using it that way. And I think that's just a brilliant tactic. It's so smart because it kind of turns the argument on its, on its head a little bit here. You are not powerless, Gary, you have power. Yeah. Use it. Right. And, and like, you know, the fact that what she's saying is extremely clever. 
like th- that I think speaks to the idea that she is not she's not ranting. This isn't ranting, Ashley. This right, is right. This is calculated and calm, Ashley. Um, if anything, putting on a bit of a show and and maybe delving into to the theatrics that that were um, damsels stock and trade. Yeah. For for a purpose, but not just to indulge yourself. Yeah, and I think that's awesome. Yeah, I mean the the speech about what the Slaughterhouse Nine did to her, I think is probably the first time most of the people listening to this have gotten a window into what they did, not just to the people they attacked, but to the people that were in their group. They took my hands. They forced me to do this. Like they 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 destroyed me. Like yeah. I I wasn't perfect before, but they took my voice. They destroyed me, and I, it's. That's so good. It's uh, I love Ashley. I love Ashley so much. Yeah, it's a really great moment. Yeah, for Ashley and and just a great story moment. Mm-hmm. So basically, this interaction ends with um, breakthrough offering to work with Gary to address his concerns if he's willing to work with them, and the book author then gives them a copy of her book about power which is like you said that's kind of the crux of what's happening here deconstructing of power yeah yeah Yeah. and i i love victoria is so exhausted by this conversation by that point she just doesn't she doesn't care it's like i didn't have a read on her but whatever i held out my hand took the book thanking her people would interpret or our taking of the book however they wanted she's just like i can't i can't with this right now i can't calculate this out sure yeah whatever um but yeah so yeah i love how it ends it's like Gary, like, come to us. We'll help you. We'll, we will help you. We we are on the same side. We agree with you. We'll help you. And he kind of, like, doesn't know what to say to that. Because, like, that's, <laughs> like, optically, that doesn't look great, right? Yeah, it's it like doesn't, you, it, yeah, it doesn't look good to, 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 to uh, you know, to stonewall refuse. that. Yeah. But it also looks like he's losing if he just accepts, right? It looks like he's, he's, he's losing the power in, in the situation, right? So, right. yeah. Right. Really awesome stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Love it. Love it. And, and I mean, it goes without saying, right? Like you have this, we talked about this a lot in the last arc too. Like you've got all these different characters who have their own different motives and motivations and, and internal dynamics. And they're all like every character is firing on all cylinders here. It's just oh, yeah. fantastically written dialogue. Even, even Byron gets some points in too. Like yeah. he, he kind of steps up the kind of shy reserved Byron steps up and be like, no, you don't understand. Like my brother is not a monster. I've forgiven him for what he's done. Like you, you don't understand. I, I think it's great. Yeah. Yeah. So then the team has a private powwow. Rain actually seems pretty gung ho about this idea of addressing the issues that Gary's brought up. So that wasn't just like a ploy. Yeah, he's all about it. He's like, yeah, we can do this stuff. And and here's how we, we should start thinking about this. And and I want to talk about this for a while. And I think I want to circle back to that comment you said about Gary, about Gary Nieves as a human being, because their argument here that both Rain and Victoria are making are fairly defensive of him, like saying, yes, he's small. He's a small man, but he's using the only tools that he has. And I want to talk about that. I want to talk about Gary in the book about what he's trying to say. I know I just compared him to Ben Shapiro. (laughs) I know. Uh, I know he's very, his views towards capes are very bigoted. I know. But is he a bad guy? His approach is wrong. We know that from our lofty perspective as a guy in the head of a cape, but also getting to, to hop around between all these capes and interludes. um, We know that his perspective is, 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 is wrong and it's not going to fix anything. 
but is he bad? And I think that's, that's really fascinating because I think the book doesn't want to give a clear answer on that. I, I think, yeah. I think you're absolutely right that they got to him. They appealed to him emotionally and there are moments where he reacted to that, where he like moments of realization possibly. Yeah. And I love this idea that he's a guy that thinks he's right. And he, he's a scared guy that thinks he's right. And yes, the way he chooses to, to use that, that assurity is wrong and terrible and bad. But like you said, he's being used and possibly we don't know. I think, I think it was teacher who said Dinah was using him, but I don't know how, how much credence we want to give that. Um, but I think it is clear that he's getting his information from somewhere. So he is being used by someone. Um, Right. I mean, so I, I love that. This is a complicated dude. Right. Well, because I mean, it's it's always complicated, right? Because like we know we know that he's that he's basically a traumatized person. He's right. He's he's seen people die. He's been in a a firefight where he actually acted rather heroically to try to to, to save people and to fight back against the attack. Um, and he he's he's scarred in much the same way that that all the you know that all these capes that he's arguing with are except the thing that he's chosen to place the blame on is the nebulous existence of parahumans in in, including the ones who are basically trying to achieve the same things he's trying to achieve and and it's it's an emotional it's a fundamentally it's an understandable emotional reaction it's just it's just self-defeating Right. Yeah. It's, just, it's just it's just wrong. Right. It's just so. So you do hope that he can get back from it. And I think that I, I, like that's the thing is I, I think that I think it is correct to call him a bigot. And I think it's also correct to say that his position is understandable from within his framework and his experiences and what's happened to him. Yeah. Well, I mean, we talk so much about recovery and redemption and people getting to better places. Right. And this has mostly been reserved for our parahuman characters because they're our main characters but like i think we said before everyone in this world is trying to get to a place where they're better off where they're healthier where they're happier um the humans too and they have different concerns um they have different things they fear they have different things they experience and have to go through and yeah he's wrong um but i'm really interested in in the continued journey of this character. He's kind of popped up again and again throughout the story. And I'm really, I'm really interested to see where his finish line will be. You know, will he be swept up in his bigotry to a point where he get can't get past him and it just ultimately destroys him or like rain hints in this thing change is hard, but it's possible. Is it, is it not too late to, to show him the error in his thinking and to, to bridge a a sort of understanding between these, these two groups of peoples, because I think Gary has kind of been set up in our story as, as the, the, the path to that bridge. If, if you want to convince human beings that the pair humanity and humanity need to become more symbiotic, need to work together, need to come together as, as groups of people, it seems like you're going to have to go through him. Like it's just the way it's going to work. Yeah, right. Yeah, he's I mean, he's definitely, uh, you know, narratively speaking, he's the mouthpiece of this right. sentiment. So, yeah, yeah. Um, both within the story and sort of on a on a meta level. Absolutely. You're right. Yeah. 
So yeah, then the team shifts to blasting Ashley for her excellent performance that was great, and they're all wrong. Uh, Victoria specifically wonders if the real Ashley isn't this cold, monstrous visage that she's seeing right now, and the friend Ashley who loves Kenzie wasn't just to put on the whole time. And I think this is such bullshit. I'm so mad at Victoria right now. <laughs> well, yeah, and I mean, we need to talk about this. And and once again, we need to talk about the fact that the, the Victoria in the mode she's in right now is not looking at people's legs, which yeah. is probably pretty important for this whole thing. Right. Because I think it's a very real possibility that Tristan, Sveta and Ashley are all putting on a show here right now that they're all. And yes, like we have to say that, yes, the putting on the show is just as concerning here as it was at the beginning of this, this week's reading where we're like, Oh gosh, this is kind of bleeding into reality. And we have to have that concern. We've talked about that concern. Yes. But let's put that aside and be like, they're still fronting a little bit here and Victoria isn't Yeah. at least, at least in our view into her head, she's not because she's not checking to see what, how these people are standing. She's not looking at arms crossed. She's just taking all this as straight forward. Um, and, and like, it's, that's scary. Like, so, I mean, we can talk about, how much each one of these characters is backsliding and how concerned about that we should be. But because the text is really nebulous about this, we don't know how much of what they were saying was an act and how much there isn't like, I'm sure on some like percentage level, each one of our characters, each one of breakthrough is backsliding a little bit is cracking a little bit as Victoria said at the beginning of, of chapter two. But more importantly is Victoria's reaction to this whole thing. <laughs> Cause it's like, damn, like it's this kind of like she, she dives into like white beneath black beneath the surface or black with white beneath the surface, just endless beneath the surfaces, always with a few limited constants. Like this idea that beneath people's goodness, there's more badness and beneath badness, there's more goodness. And there's no, there's no, like, it's just like, <laughs> it's like, whoa, Victoria, like I agree. Ashley's going through some shit right now, but whoa, whoa. I mean, that's that's this is exactly the the projection that I was talking about earlier, where she's she's, I mean, black, black beneath white, white beneath black. This is somebody who just got a black mask. Um, yeah. Right. Like like she's she's talking. I don't know if she is aware of it on, on some level, but she is kind of talking about herself as much yes. as if not more than she's talking about Ashley, because like I I think. Yeah, I, I think Ashley is much more aware of. And in control of herself in this situation than Victoria is, like you said. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the great thing is we saw um, Ashley when she took off her hands and threw them. Um, she was wearing nail polish and we know nail polish because I spent 20 minutes on it. That one episode way back in, uh -huh. <laughs> in arc two, um, nail polish was kind of used as a signifier for her. Remember, she went with the darker shade, but the nail polish she's wearing is white and black. It's like a mixed white and black nail polish. And it's kind of like it's kind of uh, part and parcel with with Ashley's understanding of herself as I am what damsel was. I am what Ashley is now. And I am what swan song wants to be in the future. I am all these things and I'm OK with it. Like right. I'm I'm dealing with it. And yeah, I mean, that's something that Victoria has a lot of trouble dealing with. Like it's just this this idea, this like both with her obsession with the past, but also her running away from it, her fleeing from it. Like, I don't want to be the idea that I could be like glory girl terrifies me. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, there's, there's, it's, it's so, 
it's so complex and wonderful and and just this wonderful window into Victoria right now. And again, it's like I just want to be like hey, Victoria, check their check their feet. Yeah, she's not. She's put it's it's a right. little bit of an act. I mean, I feel like Ashley has channeled um, what were her 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 worst aspects into something that is actually working for her in, in this yeah. in this scene at least like um you know think about you know th- th- there's the part of Ashley that kind of that kind of needs to feel like she's able to lord it over people sometimes and i think that Ashley knows that that is a part of her and maybe that's always going to be a part of her right so in this scene she calls gary an insipid dolt <laughs> which probably felt really good yep and then she kind of awesomely verbally took him down which probably took really good felt really good but at no point did she threaten to blow him away at no point did she like menace the crowd with her hands she just did a very cool like moral victory by taking by in fact taking her hands off symbolically completely disarming herself and and throwing her power away essentially right this isn't this isn't damsel trying to be scary this is damsel trying to be the opposite of scary to make a point and yeah. and there and thereby winning the argument. And it's great. It's great. It's it's like it a is. kind it's it's like a kind of really cool self mastery actually, which is why I'm which is why I'm so annoyed with Victoria right now. She doesn't <laughs> well, she doesn't understand. And Victoria does give her some credit for that, right? The end the end part of this quote is there had been vulnerability here though. Yeah. Showing the missing hands in front of watching eyes, declaring she wasn't slaughterhouse. So she gives her credit for that vulnerability, for that for that that disarming as you said. But I love the last line of this. Still, there was something I'd call darkness. And I love that because she doesn't say still there was darkness here. She says, still, there was something I'd call darkness, which is very specific to under my definition of darkness. I see that in her. Right. And I have to call into question Victoria's darkness meter sometimes, you know, because like we've had like just this past chapter, we saw Victor, who might actually be this guy that's legitimately trying to better himself and to to go down the righteous path. And he got blah, blah, blah by Victoria because I that's I'd still call that darkness. Right. And I think the word usage there seems very specific to me. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's interesting. I mean, I, I do wonder how much of, uh, you know, unreliable protagonists or or not. That's not really right. Heavily biased protagonists we're getting here where kind of her own, um, you know, being sucked down into the vortex of of the last arc has made her just see everything through this cynical lens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And 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 I think it's I think it's it's part and parcel of her fear that everyone's breaking and she's like she's convinced that everything has cracks in it. And so any kind of evidence towards that truth becomes the complete truth almost. Yeah. Like she's waiting for her teammates to brack break guys and combining crack and break into one word to brack. Yeah. Um, and I mean like that's, it's all the projection, right? Like, right. like, and yeah, the, you're crack. You're the one cracking Victoria. Yeah. Not that, and, and, and I think, I think we should say like, it's not that Ashley's not having a rough time right now. It's not that, all of our characters are like in great positions and are doing super well. I don't think that's what we're saying. I don't think we're saying that at all, but Victoria is clearly unable to deal with the fact that, that she's maybe cracking more than all of them. Right. Yeah. She's, she's, she's the dude in uh, abyss. Who's like looking with paranoia at everyone while cutting herself under the table with a knife. It's a, uh, 
I will always uh, support Abyss references. Always. Yeah. yeah. Especially this one. Um, <laughs> so then the chapter ends with someone from Shin texting her saying that uh, they want to meet someone family. Oh, great. Which is just great. Hey, guess what uh, is the best thing for Victoria to go through yeah, right now? It's all she needs. <laughs> yeah. Just a friendly visit with mom, dad, and sis. Yep. All, gonna, all three, hopefully. Well. All three at the same oh, time, hopefully. I hope, I hope all yeah. three. I like... I hope they're all three going to get to meet and I hope Sveta is there in her new body and there's some bullshit Carol stuff with like, oh, so you'll go to Orchard for help with your friend, these monsters, but not your own sister. Yeah. I just hope that all happens. It's going to be so fucking terrible and slash awesome. Can't wait. I can't wait. All right. Well, that wraps up the chapters. Um, Breaking pretty awesome and very excited about about next week um so last week's discussion question was as follows both ward and worm have circled around the central idea that pretending to be someone for long enough can result in a person changing into the thing they were pretending to be discuss a character you feel best exemplifies that idea so first from nugget blasters 69 we have Rachel, who says uh, when she meets with Siberian, Siberian asks her if she's tr- tired of faking humanity, and Bitch knows exactly what she's talking about. She spends most of Worm looking to get away from people, but in Ward, we see that she's succeeded in forming some real human friendships. She's the beloved Aunt Rachel to the heartbroken. Yeah, I think Rachel's a great, great example. I, I, ha- I have to say that that uh, answer did not occur to me when I was thinking about the question, but I love it. I, I think it's perfect. Yeah, yeah, I think it's um yeah exactly exactly fits the prompt yeah i had forgotten about that siberian conversation or the details of that siberian conversation rather yeah yeah, me too all right up next we have sarah penguin who says ashley learns from her father that respect is earned through fear and violence and thus develops a villainous persona built around threats and bluster this front personality attracts jack and bonesaw who get her killed and permanently branded as a monster her continued pretending causes more problems and leads to the death of B.O.B. But when Ashley makes the choice to ditch her claws, she chooses to step away from that persona and gradually ceases to be that person while Damsel makes the opposite choice and doesn't change. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think I think that's great because with Ashley, we see it on both sides, right? We see her, you know, pretending to be the that terrible person so much to where she kind of became it. Um and then and but also then, you know, choosing to move away from that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So I, I think she she's maybe the only person on this list today where where the character goes in one direction and then sort of chooses. No, that's not true at all. I'm wrong. There's another <laughs> one. Um, but yeah, that, that, it's a really cool idea because it's, it's not something I even thought about when we when we asked the question, this idea that not only do people become who they pretend to be, but they they can then reverse that process. Right. Or, mm-hmm. or become a third, an entirely different third thing. Yeah. Uh, Zitithis also talks about Ashley and says the Ashleys both have a worldview that is rooted in hierarchy and authority. Post cloning, Swansong places Director Armstrong and Jessica at the top of her new hierarchy. Damsel places the notion, the ideal of the Slaughterhouse Nine at the top of hers. At first, Damsel and Swansong consider each other equals, but Victoria has at this point in the story supplanted uh, Damsel as Swansong's equal in her mind. Bringing all this home, Ashley's posturing and breaking is just her personality um, and is not inherently evil. The only thing uh, that basically they say the only thing uh, that increased 
the, uh, sorry, the, the increased tendencies of, of sort of um, agroness threaten to change her view on how she ranks herself versus Victoria, but they're not actually a sign of her becoming like evil. At this point, Swan Song wouldn't slip up and act out because that would mean she's not as good a hero as her equal, Victoria. I like that. I like that frame a lot. Yeah. Because yeah. that, that does that does kind of nicely paint why Ashley would would not actually make the choice and 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 hurt someone or lash out again because yeah like it, it is framed and it, it is it's a good idea it's, a, it's fun to see how these character traits like i think there's an idea around growth and change right like there there is a core part of your personality that i think doesn't change but it's how you employ that that core part of you that changes how, who you are. Right. Yeah. And I think, I think that's a good thing to see in kind of Ashley, because I think at her core, Ashley is still the same person. It's just, it's just the choice she makes based off of those feelings. Um, and, and I love that this idea that yes, she's still a person that, um, that postures. She's still a person that, um, that, uh, is very interested in hierarchy and, and how she ranks against other people, but she's employing that, in a different way, in a better way, in a healthier way. And it, it has caused her to to change into a different, better, healthier person. Yeah, right. And, you know, now she has a friend, which is a very healthy thing. Mm-hmm. Cool. Up next, we have Death of the Artist, who says Riley is perhaps the most dramatic redemption arc of worm bonesaw has indeed done many horrible things but the origin of it all was forced conscious adoption of the type of personality she thinks jack wants to see this all culminates in her literally forcing her own body to behave as bonesaws would also she can pretend to be what jack wants her to be mental shackles and false personality made into physical bondage that's great because i think that's an example like we've we've seen examples of pretending to be someone in the positive like this is i want to be a better person so i pretend to be a better person long enough to where i'm actually just a better person but this is but uh, riley is a great example of the negative she pretends so long for survival to be that terrible person that for a while she actually is that terrible person yeah and and she she is on her way towards working herself out of that i think she's still um has a lot wrong in her in her mind um uh-huh. but i uh-huh. think i think that she's put in like a, a pretty serious effort towards bettering herself and, and reversing what happened to her. Yeah. It, interestingly enough, Bonesaw is one of those characters that has kind of disappeared from the story mysteriously. And we haven't been given a, a reason why. Right. Yeah. Was she the one who didn't come back with, with yes. Jessica? Yes. That sounds familiar. Yeah. 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 Uh, Round as frog says, uh, Taylor, Taylor went from, I'm only pretending to be a villain to war ho- warlord who's killed or beat some of the most powerful capes around in like a few months. It's like a few hours. Yeah. Taylor. I mean, yeah. <laughs> That's a good answer. Yeah. Uh, Calinero also says Taylor. Taylor's transformation from lost team to terrifying warlord happens incrementally over the course of a very long book. This happens in phases as she gradually adopts as needed increasingly fearsome persona and spends time around people who are prone to normalize her current state. Remember that first she pretended to be a hero, then an undercover hero. Only after normalizing the status quo did it feel comfortable to shift into being a villain. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Yeah, that, and that's cool because I don't know if we've ever even specifically kind of laid it out like that, pointed out the, the fact that she, there, there, were, there are distinct epochs in the, in the evolution of Taylor. It wasn't a gradual slide. It was a slide in 
distinct uh, phases, right? Yeah. Arcs, uh, yeah. maybe. Yeah, arcs, if maybe you will. call yeah. them arcs. Yeah. <laughs> to, 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 yeah, to coin a phrase. <laughs> uh, me for Mars says, Dragon started out as an administrative AI and was then freed to repurpose herself to be whatever she wanted. She chose the role of a hero and plays this role for a year before triggering. And since then, she's emulated being a human so well that the shards buy into it. Dragon pretended to be human so hard that she basically became one. Aw, I like that. Yeah, right. I mean, that's 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 really cool, especially for someone like me who's really cynical about AI that's be completely won over by a character like this. Yeah. Um, next up, we have Wanson, who goes meta and says Wildbow. <laughs> Wildbow forced himself into developing a writing habit by committing to a consistent publication schedule, and now he feels like he can't stop. He deliberately molded himself into who he is. I love it. Sure. <laughs> I'll take it. Yes, I love that character. Okay. He uh, can stop anytime he wants. He's in control. He's in control, but he'd have to it'd have to be a different persona that he's adopting. <laughs> uh AXE JPEG when says uh, love lost perhaps. She definitely devolved into what she was pretending to be throughout the story. Yeah, that that that's a complicated one actually. I mean, she, there's a lot there's a lot going on with her. Um Yeah. But but yeah, like we we do have the element that she was like, oh, I'm only pretending to be a, a villainous gang leader so I can yeah. get my revenge. And then I'm totally going to kill all these people when I get my revenge. And it's like, no, no, it yeah. didn't work. I uh, Love Loss is one of the characters I was thinking of when I, I wrote this question, actually, because I think that's a perfect example of that. That like, I'm just pretending to be the bad guy and then I'll get rid of all the monsters once I'm done pretending to be the bad guy. And oh, wait, it's me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Peta Enigma says, if it's a farce, a joke, let's run with it. We take simple names, dumb names, and we make people quake in their shoes at the sound. Jack Slash. So that's a quote. Um, Peta picked Jack Slash. It says, Jack Slash made himself a deliberately bad identity and set out to make that a joke he played on the world by being scarier than his identity. It's almost a direct reflection of Scion, who chose a deliberately Jesus-like identity to mask his real identity as an interdimensional world-eating space whale. But where Scion chose to hide his nature, Jack wanted to overcome his with his skill. That's cool. I like that. Yeah, yeah. It's a little bit of a different twist on it, right? Mm -hmm. This idea yeah. of... of adopting an identity that then kind of informs you from the inside out yeah all right good answers everyone great discussion yes. great discussion everyone thank you so much for those of you that answered we we love it yeah so the discussion question for next week is um contrasts wildbow's approach and style in writing dialogue scenes with another storyteller so this is a different kind of question um, we, we haven't asked a question quite like this before, but I think we talked a lot about Wildbow's dialogue scene this, this episode, um, cause most of this episode was dialogue and I, I just, I, I want to like look at how Wildbow writes dialogue, how Wildbow writes dialogue heavy scenes as compared to how some other authors do it yeah. and, and see the strengths in, in, in this method. Or the strengths in the other method, whatever it, you want to do. Yeah, and we agreed that we didn't actually want to just say, like, find a really good Wildbow dialogue scene and talk about it. Because yeah, we've done those a lot. We, so. we've, we've done those a lot, and also, like, um, sh sure, you can learn a lot from that, but I think that you can always learn different things by contrasting different um, different artists. Yeah. Like, like, it brings different things into focus. Yeah, and I don't think, that, I don't think we're asking, like, 
which is better, right? I don't think yeah. that's the the intent of the question. I think it's just like like explore. I think comparison explores different ways of doing things. Um, because I think uh, off the top of my head, I think Stephen King has a very specific way of writing dialogue, and I think it'd be very interesting to compare Stephen King's dialogue writing to Wild Bo's dialogue writing and seeing different ways that different authors use their dialogue to express the story that they're telling. Yeah, right. I mean, it, it, like as soon as you came up with this idea, I immediately thought of like a whole bunch of basically not only artists but like specific things to say about it. So yeah, I'm excited to see what the answers are. Yeah. Well, uh, that's all we got for you this week on We've Got Ward. You guys are all part of this show, so feel free to provide us with advice, questions, or thoughts on this week's reading. You didn't say now. I'm so proud of you. (laughs) You can reach us via email at gotwormpod at gmail.com or over on our Twitter account at gotwormpod. My personal Twitter is at scottdaily85, and Matt's is at at monetize your friends. That's what Matt says. Scott is referencing my best tweet ever. It was a great tweet. Thank you. And I did. I did. I monetized. I monetized you. man. And I monetized you right back, buddy. (laughs) Um, If you're not already subscribed to We've Got Ward, we strongly recommend you do so and never miss an episode. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere else in the world you can listen to podcasts. And as always, you can find this and all the other podcasts we do over at doofmedia.com. We referenced uh, Pact in this episode, and that's because our friends uh, are do uh, Ruben and Elliot are doing deep impact a chapter by chapter deep dive into that show or that book rather we talk about that show all the time on here and it's because we really like it we're really happy with what they're doing and uh, there was there was a cool thread in uh in the reddit thread this the reds the subreddit rather Matt this week that said that uh, deep impact is what finally got some guy to really dive into pact and they were loving it and that's that's music to my ears. I love to hear that. Those guys yeah. are doing really great work and I'm glad it's bringing attention to the, the book and uh, it's getting people to, to really check it, check it out. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the moment they said they were going to do that show, I was like, ah, oh, good. I can read it now. <laughs> um, so yeah, thanks. Thanks guys. Um, yeah. and, and it is really great. And if you haven't read Pact, so good. It's do, really, do that. it's really so good. I've read four whole arcs of it now. I'm doing great. I'll be done in no time. Yep. I, I finished it, but I finish everything. All right. Um, <laughs> yes. So that's right. And if you like our shows, <laughs> it's a great script read. It's flawless. Stuff. And you want to support our shows, uh, consider donating to our Patreon account, patreon.com slash doof media. You can donate a dollar a month or whatever else you can afford. Supporting us on Patreon gives you tons of great bonuses like voting in the fan art contest, which is happening right now. Costume right now. contests when Halloween rolls around, basically. Q&A sessions with uh, me and Scott. Access we did one to last night. It was we, a lot of fun. We did. It was. It was a really good one. Access to. Oh, yeah. And if you and if you join, then you get access to all the past Q&A sessions, too. Um, access to our live streams of our recording sessions like this one happening right now and our excellent discord chat where we hang out uh, with all the other cool parahuman do fan folks uh, and packed folks and so it's this gonna, this week what what are you laughing at a, stop laughing a, at me it's gonna be a simpler a simpler thing to call them than parahuman do packed folks nope that's that's what we're all called now. Special <laughs> thanks to new Bidoofs, Luke H, Logan C, and Sandcat at the $1 level, and Jimmy O at the $2 level, and new Doof Warrior, Connor R at the $20 level. Wow. Thank you so much, all of you. We really appreciate that. That means a lot to us. Guys, you're awesome. We're getting close to our new goal. Um, 
semi-close. Cool. I think we're like 50 patrons away, which means then we have to start talking about Stephen King, which is not ever a bad thing. That's true. So you can help us do that. Awesome. Yeah. So as always, uh, while you're over there on Patreon.com, make sure you go to Patreon.com slash Wildbow and donate to him as well, because this is his world. We're just playing in it. And if you cannot afford to donate right now, that's absolutely okay. You can instead help us by sharing the podcast and the book with literally everybody you know. And, you know, frankly, some people you don't know. Like, yeah. I hear that um, the subway is a really great place to force people to read a book you like. Flyers tell are, me. are also a good option, yeah. just like scattered in the street. Yeah. Um, uh, or you could just head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and review because this is the third week in a row. <laughs> That I don't have any read. Uh, what? I'm really sad about oh, it. Oh no. Oh no. We're ending on a down note. Well, that's it for this <laughs> week's show. Next week on the show, we will continue with breaking. Is there an, a song that has breaking in it? I'm trying to think of a song I could sing. Um No. There's that there's Savage no, Garden song, isn't there's there? There's no songs that have breaking in it. No. I think you're lying to me. <laughs>